We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc. And of course, you can always find us over at cheeseheadtv.com. I am Andrew Mertig, back for another Friday edition of the podcast. I am riding solo today. You may have noticed Kyle's not doing the intro. He can't be with us this week. So to help me preview a massive divisional playoff game against the Seahawks, I called upon somebody who knows a heck of a lot about the Seattle team. I am super happy to be joined by Brandon Schultz of Field Goals, which is a Seahawks community on SB Nation, as well as the co-host of the Seahawkers podcast. Brandon, welcome to the Packaday Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. You're fired up for this Sunday matchup between these two teams. It is so exciting after two seasons of no playoff football in Green Bay. I'm sure it's really exciting in Seattle. And uh, one of the things, you know, just to get us started, I've I've heard as kind of a criticism of the Seattle offense is that it is entirely too reliant on the quarterback's ability to create just secondary openings for the receivers. So in a lot of ways, that's kind of similar to the critiques of the Mike McCarthy offense in Green Bay. So tell me, is the Seahawks offense more than just Russell Wilson running around and making stuff happen? Well, you know, for majority of the season, when we had Chris Carson and Rashad Penny as the two running backs, that that was, you know, that's kind of how Pete Carroll likes to run the offense. And yeah, I, I would say that now, 
minus those two guys, it probably does resemble more of the Aaron Rodgers, uh, Mike McCarthy era Packers because they don't have that running game. And yes, they re-signed Marshawn Lynch. They're bringing him back, but you can't really expect that he's going to be the Marshawn Lynch of three and four years ago. So I think these last couple games you've seen, you know, it, it really has relied on the back of Russell Wilson and making plays. And when he has to deal with, you know, not only not having a running game, but minus his starting center. And we've been without our starting left guard, Mikey Potty, been without uh, Dwayne Brown, the starting left tackle. So he's really been having to, to be the guy to create some plays downfield. And you see a lot of times where he drops back and he's taking pressure, but he's just in that zone where he can make things happen. We've seen it from him in games earlier this year where even that first win against the Rams where he's dropping back, he's taking pressure, and he's still able to make guys miss and find those receivers downfield. Yeah, and for Packer fans who don't watch a ton of Seattle football, Russell Wilson has been just absolutely phenomenal. And, um, it, you know, I think the the comparisons to, uh, you know, the MVP stretch of Aaron Rodgers' play are are more than fair. If, if it wasn't for the ridiculous season Lamar Jackson is having, I think Russell Wilson would be at the top of everybody's mind for MVP and certainly is going to get some consideration there anyways. But one of the things that you mentioned was Chris Carson and Rashad Penny, and they're both gone for the season you know, Travis Homer's played pretty well. And you mentioned the return of Marshawn Lynch. That That's a huge momentum boost for the team at a minimum. But what are your expectations of the Seattle running backs for this Sunday? Well, kind of, I'm kind of wondering that based on the way the Packers play defense, it kind of seems like they allow a, a little bit more of the running game. And it's something that we saw with the Minnesota Vikings a few weeks back that they really wanted to cut down on the amount of deep shots that the that the Seahawks were going to take. And so they allowed a lot of free running lanes. And with Rashad Penny and with Chris Carson, you know, the Seahawks were able to put up you know, to almost 250 yards on the ground. I don't know if I can expect that to be the case with the Packers now. So I am a little bit curious to see how they're going to do it. I do think that of the, of the last three games that this will be the biggest game that we've seen from Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, and it's kind of been a staple of the Mike Pettin scheme over the years that he's going to allow teams to run. He's not going to invest the personnel in in stopping that. And it's going to be up to Kenny Clark and the Smiths and Dean Lowry and, and the rest of them to uh, win oftentimes at a disadvantage in numbers. So it, it will be interesting to see if the Packers can limit what the Seahawks can do in the running game. Um, certainly going to be one of the staples to, you know, ho- hopefully for our sake, um, you know, not not having long extended drives. But, but the Seahawks are often committed to the run, and, and that will be something that, that we have to watch to play out in the running game. But if we're taking a, a look at the passing game, I, I know I took a ton of heat because I had DK Metcalf rated as my number five overall prospect in the entire 2019 draft. And I looked downright foolish when he made it into the late second round, but DK has been on a tear as of late and had a really, really strong rookie season. Um, How has he been able to succeed within the Seattle offense? Well, I think to start the season, you know, the big knock on him, right? And even going back to the draft is, oh, he can only run a couple routes and, you know, he wasn't a complete receiver. And I think we did kind of see that to some extent at the start of the year. And they really did have a limited route tree for him. 
And that worked really well for Russell Wilson because he's a deep ball thrower and DK Metcalf's a guy who can run really fast in a straight line. And, and he was that a deep ball guy for Russell early on. And then as we've seen the year go on, he's, we've, we've come to find out that DK Metcalf is, you know, not just a guy who's interested in, in showing off his speed and, and being a touchdown guy. He wants to be a complete receiver and he's really worked at the game over this season. And so he and Russell Wilson have been working together just throughout the season. And he's, he's kind of worked his way into becoming a more complete receiver. Now, is he all the way there? I don't think so. And for a rookie, he's way beyond what even I would have expected this season. I said, if he even gets near Doug Baldwin type numbers and he had an excellent rookie year, but he's come out and now he's the number two in franchise history behind Joey Galloway. So he beat, you know, the Doug Baldwin rookie season. He beat the Steve Largent rookie season. And that's been really impressive. And then to go out and against the Philadelphia Eagles have 160 receiving yards, which is better than any rookie in their first playoff performance. He's he's hitting his stride at just the right time. Yeah, and I I know I wouldn't trade Elton Jenkins for anybody, but I, I do, I, I well, I'm just incredibly jealous of have, uh, the Seahawks having DK Metcalf. It, it, it was soul-crushing to me to watch, you know, four or five hours of draft coverage and still see him on the board at the end of the second round. And then, of course, Seattle would pick him because um, they always end up with the players that I want. Well, how wild is it that the Patriots traded out of that pick? And, <laughs> you know, they did have Nikhil Harry and... and you know, but you know the big problem with the New England Patriots this season has been their receivers, and yeah, I suppose with Devontae Adams too, and not having you know a, a solid number two type guy for the Packers, you might be a little jealous. Yeah, and he's certainly making uh, the 31 franchises that pass on him in the draft, uh, you know, really regret that decision. But speaking of wide receivers and, and kind of flipping things to the other side of the ball. Devontae Adams has vaulted himself into an elite receiver conversation over the last couple seasons, and he's an especially interesting matchup against the Seahawks' big physical corners. What do you think the Seahawks' plan is to slow down Devontae? Oh, Devontae Adams. We're talking about a guy who's not even a 1,000-yard receiver? I, I'm just kidding. I know, I, know that's a, I know that's a big sticking point among Packers fans because he almost got there the last couple of years. But, you know, he really is an outstanding type player. And, you know, you see it when he's on the field. He's, he's Aaron Rodgers' go-to guy. And so I am a little bit concerned about that because not only do they have Devontae Adams to try and stop, they have Aaron Jones to try and stop. And I really do think that as far as the way Pete Carroll looks at the game, he's probably going to look to try and stop Jones more than he is Adams. And so I would expect that matchup to be there for Aaron Rodgers and, and him to be looking for him quite a bit. And he probably does have a solid day. He gets his, but maybe the Seahawks focus a little bit more on stopping Jones. Absolutely. And and one of the ways that certainly you can slow Devontae Adams down is getting pressure on Aaron Rodgers. But well, that's not Seattle fin- <laughs> Well, and it was interesting to me because, you know, certainly with with the personnel, I would have expected this statistic to look a little bit different. But Seattle finished the regular season tied for second to last in sacks in the NFL. And then all of a sudden they explode for seven last week against Philly. Was, was that kind of an aberration or do you expect them to continue to ratchet up the pressure against a pretty good Green Bay offensive line? I think it was a little bit of an aberration because what we saw in that game with McCown is that they weren't getting pressure right away. It was more of McCown holding on to the football 
And then his, you know, the pocket would break down and that's where the pressure would come from the Seahawks. And, you know, in terms of the sack numbers, yeah, they get seven, but that wasn't really, I think maybe four of the seven were from the defensive line and the other ones were in Bobby Wagner. And I think Cody Barton had one, Bradley McDougal had one. So I think they, they spread it out among the linebackers and secondary. And, uh, and so I, I am just... I'm not very high on this team's ability to get pressure on the quarterback. Ziggy Ons has been a big disappointment this year. Jadevian Clowney has been able to get pressure pretty consistently. He just doesn't have the sack numbers, and he is hurt, so it's it's going to be tough. I don't think he is the same player when he's hurt. We do see some of those big plays. You know, he blew up a jet sweep, and he is he was still getting some pressure on McCown, but. I don't think that, uh, you know, a healthy clown is much better than than kind of what we've seen from him in the last few weeks. And I'll take whatever he can give this team before the end of the season. Absolutely. So um, I, I hesitate to even bring this up, but besides the Kyle Rudolph offensive pass interference call, the biggest controversy of the weekend was the Carson Wentz injury. So I got to get your opinion. Was the clowny hit a cheap shot? I, I kind of like your wording there. I, cheap shot, I, you know, I think I can accept that that uh, terminology. I don't know if I could call it a dirty hit, but when he sees when when Clowney sees the opportunity to get a hit on the quarterback when he's running outside the pocket, and we heard going into the week, I was I was talking to Philadelphia Eagles fans that said going into this game, you know, they're going to really want to try and run Carson Wentz. So if that was their plan going into the game and they wanted to get him outside the pocket and running the ball. I can see where the, you know, the coaching point on it was, hey, if the quarterback runs, remember, when he's outside of the pocket, you're able to hit him. And so when Bradley McDougal has him by the ankles and you see him with that momentary opportunity of, okay, I can inflict a little bit of pain here, you see him square up and, and try and lay his shoulder into his back. Now he ends up getting the helmet-to-helmet contact there too. That probably should have been called. But I don't think he went in there with the intention of taking Carson Wentz out of the game. Yeah, and it, it's it's sort of a sensitive spot to Packer fans because, of course, there's the Anthony Barr breaking breaking Aaron Rodgers' collarbone with what seemed like a little bit of an unnecessary hit. And as as fans, we we tend to call these things dirty. And I'm sure if something happened to Russell Wilson that was similar, Seahawks fans would be really upset too. But the situation is you have world class athletes moving at incredible speeds. They're they're trying to be physical. And sometimes those kind of things happen, and I don't know. I didn't see any sort of malice in that, and certainly I don't think there's anything in Jadavion Clowney's history that that would um, put him out there as somebody who's intending to injure another player. So I just thought it was kind of funny. Had to yeah, get your well, opinion. if you go back now to the NFC Championship game between the Packers and the Seahawks and the helmet-to-helmet hit that Clay Matthews put on Russell Wilson, now that was a dirty hit. <laughs> Well, if you if you say so, Clay Matthews got enough um, uncalled for 15 yard penalties in his career that uh, you know may, maybe he he should get away with one or two yeah, here he was there. The poster but, child of that, I think, after they made the new rule. <laughs> yeah, and um, one one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, we we didn't chat about this before, but um, what are your thoughts on Sunday's game? What, what do you what do you foresee as an outcome? I think it's going to come down to which one of these quarterbacks has the ball last. I think it's going to be a close game. And, you know, you, you talked about 
the, uh, the, the, the ability of the Packers to kind of allow the runs. I think the Seahawks will take that because Pete Carroll, he doesn't mind playing in close games if the defense is allowing the team to run. He wants to draw the clock out and kind of shorten the the amount of time on the clock by allowing it to, to run, sometimes to a de- his detriment because they, they've gotten some delay of game calls here the last couple of games. But I think they're going to want to make this a close game and have it go down to the fourth quarter. And whichever quarterback has the ball left, uh, the ball with about a minute and a half left, you know, as long as there's enough time to score, I think that's the team that's going to win. That's really great insight. And I, I know I personally always appreciate being able to hear from other teams, fans, because especially having a podcast where we're so Patrick or Packer centric, mm-hmm. we, we tend to get insulated in our thoughts. And so, so I think it's just been incredibly valuable and a huge, huge thank you for joining us, Brandon. And where can we find your work and, and where can we find you on social media? Yeah, yeah, on social, you can find me at Seahawkers Pod. That's my Twitter account for the Seahawkers podcast. And uh, you can also follow me or subscribe on Field Goals, SBNation.com slash NFL podcast. Look for the Field Goals podcast. We did a Packers preview that's out that we did with the uh, Acme Packing Company. So you can check that out. And uh, yeah, because I know Packers fans, you know, you're, you're wanting to gear up for this game and listen to everything that's out there. Absolutely. Thanks again. Appreciate it. I think it is always really interesting to get a perspective from outside of Packers fandom because we tend to get either too high or too low on certain aspects of the team. And I thought Brandon did a really great job of breaking down what the expectations are for the Seahawks. And I think that helps to put Sunday in a little bit better perspective. But I still have the responsibility to talk about matchups and X-Factors. So I'm going to work through some of that briefly today to end the show. I think... Probably the singular most important matchup when the Seahawks are on offense is the Smith brothers against Russell Wilson. One thing I harp on week after week is the ability of the Smiths to get to the quarterback without giving up lanes for the quarterback to move up. And nobody is better than Russell Wilson at creating both in and out of the pocket. So having players who can counter that by crashing the pocket in on him without letting him escape could be a massive blow to the Seahawks offense. And I'm kind of turning into the weather football guy, I guess, because I had the analysis of Drew Brees and cold weather games last week. But I wanted to focus in again on Russell Wilson and his history. Um, He's played three games in below freezing temperatures in his NFL career. You go back to 2014, uh, November 16th, and there was a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. He goes 20 of 32 178 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions in a 21-degree game. Uh, not particularly inspiring stats, but it was the second year, so uh, maybe some some understanding there. In 2016, on January 10th, he played um, against Minnesota, and they won 10-9 to uh, in a zero-degree game. Now, that was the season where Minnesota was playing outside before the current stadium opened. He goes 13 of 16, pretty good completion percentage, 142 yards, not a lot of passing there on that day. One touchdown, one interception, frigid temperatures. Um, And then you you fast forward to the next season, and on December 11th of 2016, he played the game at Lambeau that the Seahawks, of course, lost in a just 
catastrophe of a performance where Wilson goes 22 of 39, 240 yards, one touchdown, five interceptions. A lot of those were deflections off of receivers and stuff, but just a really poor performance by the Seahawks on a 27-degree day. So it's a 19-degree forecast for Lambeau Sunday night, and there's a 40% chance of precipitation, um, that being snow. Obviously a small sample size, but combining Wilson's troubles at Lambeau with his troubles in the snow has to look favorably for the Packers' defense. I would also, from a matchup perspective, like to give a special nod to the Packers' corners. If it was me, I'd line up Jair against Tyler Lockett and let Kevin King have some safety help on DK Metcalf, but likely there's going to be some interchangeability to those two matchups, so that's something that I'm going to be keeping a close eye out on, and I have a feeling it's going to be make a big impact in the outcome of this one. Um, when the Packers are on offense, I'm focused on Jimmy Graham, and I can basically hear the collective groans throughout Packer Nation when I mention him, but the weakness of the Seahawks defense has always been over the middle and up the seam and on checkdowns, and for the Packers to move the ball, they're going to have to establish the run and get the ball to somebody other than Devontae Adams. So if they can suck Bobby Wagner up with some play action... And, you know, you heard Brandon say that the Seahawks probably are going to be focused in on stopping Aaron Jones. I think we see Graham have a breakout performance against his former team on Sunday. And my X-Factor matchup. Uh, we said no more Jay Sternberger because he's always inactive when we pick him. So I'm going to eat more crow than Thursday's team is going to eat most stuffed Oreos. My X-Factor for this game is Kyler Fackrell. The Packers have utilized him as a spy against several of the fleet-footed quarterbacks that they've they've played, and I think they can really do the same against Russell Wilson. Fackrell has the range, and uh, I'm going to say it, the athleticism to not let Wilson pick up the first downs with his feet. And if Wilson is getting out of the pocket, the coverage is in trouble anyways, but Fackrell is going to be tasked with not letting him pick up cheap first downs to extend drives. Green Bay is going to need to get them off the field so the offense can get cooking. Uh, But that is all the time we have for today. A big thank you again for Brandon for joining us. I'm really excited about Sunday. Playoff football is back in Green Bay. But this has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. On tomorrow's episode, we'll get a preview of Saturday's games. You can catch Kyle and myself next Friday. And we are going to be back with a preview of what I am hoping is the Packers NFC Championship opponent. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.